We're back in the Gospel of Matthew. And go ahead and grab Matthew chapter 10. And while you're at it, flip to 1 John, not the Gospel of John. Go to the end of the New Testament, not all the way to the end. You got Revelation, last book, Jude, then you're in, you're in 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. We want 2nd John, and we also want 3rd John. So make your way there uh, this morning. We are back in Matthew. I had taken a few weeks off during the month of July to, um, you know, those individuals who are traveling on holidays were like, please don't go through Matthew. We don't want to miss anything. I got an email this last week saying, you know what, my family sat at the last second to go camping. I was like, sorry, man, like, we're going back to Matthew. So we're in Matthew again today, uh, and uh, if you're not able to be here, you have someone who was wanting to be here, but, you know, is on holidays traveling, uh, you, you're welcome to sign up for the podcast. You can find it on iTunes. We're uh, working our way through Matthew, and as we've been in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus has given his apostles instructions in terms of how specifically to achieve his mission. Matthew chapter 10 is basically a how-to manual. We've seen a lot of different things being taught. We've seen a lot of different things being discussed. All of it has to do with those individuals who are working to proclaim the gospel. All of it has to do with those individuals who are going out for the sake of the name to tell people about Jesus. And of course, there's a lot of things that we've encountered here. Number one, there's the reality of persecution. Not everybody wants to know about the true name of Jesus Christ and the salvation that is there. So persecution is a big theme in Matthew chapter 10. Another thing that we have found is that it is Christ's purpose to exalt himself by creating a division. He says, I haven't come to bring peace, but I've come to unleash a sword, to set a mother against his father. Family members are going to be enemies within your own household. There are going to be those who hate you and persecute you. And so as you're an apostle, as you're one of these 12 guys that are with him who he is discipling, you can imagine that there's a little bit of anxiety as we come to the end of Matthew chapter 10, as we come to the end of this instruction. And as we approach the end of Matthew chapter 10, Jesus holds forth the promise of reward. So if you would, look with me, Matthew chapter 10, we're going verses 40 to 11, 1. Jesus says to them and to us, Whoever receives you, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of of cold water because he is a disciple. Truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, as we hear you speaking to us today, we want to be careful, Lord, to receive those who come bearing the gospel Father, teach us what it means to be receptive to your word. Lord, if there are any here today who are not receiving you and not receiving your word, we pray, God, that you'd open their eyes to see it and you'd open their hearts and their minds to understand what is necessary for them to embrace you. And Lord, as our friend Lisa, as our sister is with us this morning, we just pray, God, for this servant that you have called out into the harvest. Lord, if there are any others here today whom you are also speaking to, calling, 
calling out into the harvest. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to them and that they would hear you loud and clear. Father, all of us in this room desire and strive to be individuals who want to bring your reward and your blessing, not only to Kamloops, but across Canada and around the world. Help us to do that, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. In my household, we go through bread makers about as fast as most people go through loaves of bread. I don't know why that is. There's really no comparison from home, fresh home-baked bread to the stuff you get at the store. But for whatever reason, and, and so we love it, and we're always baking bread at our house. But we just seem to be cursed with the fact that these bread makers that we buy just don't hold up to the demands that we as a family place upon them. I don't know if you've ever made bread by hand. It's a little difficult, which is why we buy bread makers. But when the bread maker breaks and you have to make bread by hand, you realize the value of bread maker. I don't know if you've ever made bread, but uh, you've got to take all the ingredients and you've got to put it all in here and you've got to mix it up. And you've really got to mix it up really well and you've got to knead the loaf and you've got to do all this stuff. And, and the reason you have to do that really is because if you don't, there's nothing worse than getting a loaf of bread out of the oven and biting into it, and there's like a section right in the middle of the loaf that's like straight flour that didn't fully get mixed. And you're like, it's all tasty and fluffy, and you bite into it, and it's like flour. And you're like, oh, that's gross. You know, that's just horrible. The, the loaf of bread does not have consistency. It doesn't have solidarity. And what I mean by that is when you're mixing ingredients, when you're making a loaf of bread, what needs to happen is you put in eggs, you put in flour, you put in yeast, you put all this stuff in there. And you have to stir it in such a way that everything in the bowl, every ingredient in the bowl, needs to come into contact with every other ingredient. Not simply to touch it, as I would just sort of cursory stir this thing, like, yeah, it looks good. You want to stir it in such a way that every ingredient in this bowl is thoroughly saturated and penetrated and intermixed with every other ingredient. That's the only way you're going to get a good loaf of bread. It's the only way it's going to taste good. If it doesn't touch, if every ingredient does not come into thorough contact with every other ingredient, then the bread will lack consistency. Now we start there this morning. We start there with that illustration because... That's what it means to truly receive the gospel. Jesus makes this statement here in Matthew chapter 10, verse 40. Look with me. He makes this statement. He's sending out the 12. Now, these are his guys. He has preached the gospel to them. They have come into contact with him. They are, as a result of their contact with Christ, coming into contact with the Father who sent the Christ. And what Jesus says is that because of their close contact with him, as he sends them out, now there's a direct connection back to God the Father. Look what he says here. He says, whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. In other words, you, Peter, Whomever will listen to you, whoever will receive your words, if they will take what you are saying and they will receive it, they're not receiving just you. They're receiving not just 
Jesus. If they're receiving what Peter has to say, when Peter comes to preach the gospel, they're receiving not Peter, but God the Father. There's a connection all the way back, which means that if we are going to take the gospel to people, we've got to make sure we're really receiving what Jesus says. He offers us an opportunity here for reward. But the, contingent, the, the reward is contingent upon making sure that we have fully embraced Christ. Look at what he says. Whoever receives you receives me. Whoever receives me receives him who sent me. Now he's going to have three illustrations of this principle. Number one. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. Now, hear this, okay? Imagine you're cooking up a bunch of different loaves of bread. You've got your cinnamon loaf here, you've got your wheat loaf here, and you've got your, just your generic white bread that I like, white bread over there, okay? So his statement to the disciples is, I'm sending you out. Whoever receives you receives the Father through me back to the Father, okay? Now he's going to break it up with three examples. You've got your prophet, this is a person who speaks forth the word of God, who speaks forth the mind of Christ. That's what the word prophet means. Many of us, we typically tend to associate prophecy and prophet with predicting the future. Old Testament prophets, they gave messages, they gave warnings to Israel, they called Israel back to repentance. They did foretell, on many occasions, future events in order to authenticate the legitimacy of their message. But the emphasis is not on foretelling the future, but on speaking forth the word of God. So, Jesus' statement is, when a person comes and speaks forth the word, whomever receives that, guy comes and speaks the gospel in your life, speaks forth the word of God into your life, if you receive that, then you receive the reward that the prophet has. Okay? So that would be like your cinnamon loaf, okay? That would be sweet. At least we pray it's sweet. The reason why I call it the cinnamon loaf is because Jeremiah, among others, says, when I found your word, I ate it and it tasted sweet to my mouth but it turned my stomach to bitterness. The word of God should come and it should be wonderful and it should taste awesome, but let's be real. It's going to challenge us. It's going to convict us. There are going to be times when hearing what Christ has to say, it's going to put us in situations that are extremely uncomfortable and unpleasant. Jesus' statement there is the one who receives the prophet's word, the one who receives the prophet also is eligible to receive the prophet's reward. Number two, the one who receives a righteous person, because he is a righteous person, will receive a righteous person's reward. Okay, so immediately he throws out these two big examples. You got a prophet, you got a righteous person. You got a man who is out telling people about Jesus, he's out proclaiming the word of God. You got a man who's just obedient to the word, just faithful, just living a righteous life. And on both instances, he says, when a person sees a prophet speaking forth the word of God and receives him because he is a prophet, because he is somebody who's receiving the word of God, then that person gets the same reward that that guy gets. If a person just sees an individual who lives a righteous life and recognizes him as a righteous person, 
and he receives that, he is eligible for a righteous person's life. In other words, you hear somebody telling you about Jesus, you embrace it, you're eligible for a righteous person's reward. You see someone living out the Christian life, being faithful to their convictions, and you recognize that there's some legitimacy to that, you receive that, you seek to imitate that, you receive the same reward. Now look at this last thing here, verse 42. It makes the statement, whoever gives, the word here is for children, it's the same word that the Greek It's often translated for children. You get the impression that he could be talking about children. You find this same passage referred to over in the Gospel of Mark as well as over in the Gospel of Luke. And in both of those passages, he clearly has children in mind. You know, he could be referencing children here. I mean, as he's giving these instructions to these 12 apostles, these 12 disciples, it's very likely that there are children running around. And he may very well just point over there and say, or somebody like that, a little child. But the emphasis is not on the fact that it's just a little child. The emphasis is on the fact that it's a disciple, it's a follower of Christ. He says, you know, if anyone just gives one of these little ones a cup of cold water because he is a disciple. And he makes a statement, truly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Now, I want you to look at these three examples. They're similar, but then the last one is a little different. The last one helps us to fully understand what's going on in the first two examples. It says, I'll give you a prophet's reward if you receive a prophet, because he is a prophet. I'll give you a righteous person's reward if you receive a righteous person, just because he is a righteous person. And then the last example is, you know what? Even if you do something small, basic, most rudimentary, easiest act of hospitality that you can do, giving someone a cup of water, Because he's a disciple. Jesus then emphasizes the certainty of the reward. It makes a statement, you will not lose your reward. Now we're we're tempted to step back and say, well, what's the difference between a prophet's reward and a righteous person's reward? And and what kind of a, if I, okay, so let's say I don't want to strive to the prophet side, I'm not really a, a righteous kind of man, but like I can just give a cup of cold water to a disciple. Like, what, what do I get if I just, you know, if this is as far as I'm willing to go? Now, you need to understand that's not the thrust of the text. If it were Jesus' purpose to sit here and say, package A comes with this, this, and this, and this, but wait, there's more, and he adds on more, then he would have said that, okay? And he doesn't. Package A, package B, and then, you know, for the beginner, you know, package C, you know, the entry-level reward package. Now, that's not what he's saying. The emphasis here and and the third illustration, the third example he gives, opens our eyes to understand the first two examples. Now, look at this. He says, if you just do something basic, very basic, like a cup of cold water, to even the smallest individual who has the least stature, the least significance in the church or in society, for this reason, because he's my disciple, then you will not lose your reward. The emphasis of the text, even though reward is repeated three times, is not on the nature of the reward. The emphasis of the text is on the certainty of the reward. He makes a statement in the third example. Again, he references reward, references disciple. But he says, truly I say to you, he will by no means. 
That last portion there is very helpful. Truly. He emphasizes it. I'm telling you the truth. He's already said it twice. If you receive a prophet, you'll get a reward. If you receive a righteous person, you'll get a reward. And if you just give a cup of cold water, truly listen to me. Emphasis is on this last expression. If it's the most basic, most fundamental thing that you do, is just to give a cup of water to someone, truly, truly, there will be no loss of your reward in heaven. I'm not going to talk about what that reward might look like, but I want you to know that there is a guaranteed certain inheritance waiting for you in heaven. And in fact, if you look closely at the text, you'll find that that's exactly what he is saying throughout. Now, we're big ESV fans here. We like the English Standard Version. It's readable. It's accessible. It's a great translation. We love it. Now, I never, I always am uncomfortable doing this because I never want to create any uncertainty in your mind regarding the reliability of this translation. However, for our purposes today, I do need to show you something that isn't going to be readily apparent. Look at what Jesus says here. He makes a statement, the one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. Notice the repetition, receive, 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 receive. Okay, here's the problem. It's not the same word. There are two words. Uh, There's dekomai and then there's lambano. Dekomai means to welcome, to greet, to embrace. It has with it the idea that someone comes to you, and it can also be translated receive, but it has the idea that someone comes to you. When it's translated receive, they come to you giving you a gift. You didn't earn the gift. You didn't work for the gift. They come to you. They give it to you. It can also be used welcome. Somebody comes to your house. You're at home. They knock on your door. You open the door. You allow them to come in. Dekomai. Jesus' statement is, whoever dekomai receives, welcomes, embraces a prophet, it's very passive. That's the other thing I want to point out to you. This is in the passive voice. I'll get to that in a second. If you passively receive the prophet or the righteous person, you will then lambano a prophet or a righteous person's reward. Now here's the difference. Lambano is future, it will happen, it is future tense somewhere down the road, middle voice, okay, so you've got passive voice, you've got middle voice, anybody here remember the illustration that I used probably a dozen times in the last three years to explain this, the, the knife gesture, the stabbing gesture, okay, you have uh, my professor, Dr. Matos, to thank for this, this is how it was explained to me, and this is how I always explain it, you have a knife, okay, active voice, I take the knife and I stab with it. This is the illustration he used 8 o'clock Greek class Monday morning. I'll never forget this. It's like, whoa, we're getting really violent in here at seminary. This is crazy. He takes a knife. He doesn't actually take it. This is all imagined. There was no knife in the classroom. He takes an imaginary knife. He says, okay, you have a knife. Active voice. Greek tense. Basic 101. Baby Greek 101. You have a knife. Active voice. I am stabbing with the knife. In other words, I'm the subject of the sentence. I'm performing an action with no reference to the object, who it is that's receiving the action. That's active voice. Passive voice, I am being stabbed. In other words, there is a knife and it is stabbing you and you are the passive recipient of the action of the verb. Passive voice. Middle voice, slightly different. You are both the subject as well as the object. You are engaging in the action and the action you are engaging in, you are also the recipient of it. So, we're kind of suicidal with the middle voice. I am stabbing myself with the knife. I am doing the action, but I'm also receiving it. Now, follow me here. Jesus' statement to the disciples is, 
And he uses two different words. They can both be translated receive. But if he meant the exact same idea, he would have just used one word. He would have just said dekomai, 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 dekomai. But he doesn't. Which means that he's wanting to draw our attention to something very specific. He says, if you will passively welcome and embrace a prophet, if you will passively welcome and embrace a righteous person, then you will, middle voice, cause yourself to take or to grasp a prophet's reward. You will cause yourself to take or to grasp a righteous person's reward. That's what I want you to see this morning. Lambano is almost never translated receive. It has as its root meaning to grasp or to take, to steal. What Jesus is saying to his disciples, when you guys go out to preach the gospel, whomever would receive you. Now, they're doing all the work. They're bringing the good news, okay? They're bringing the good news. They're bringing the gospel. People are just there receiving it. They don't have to work for it. They don't have to do anything to earn it. We are saved all of grace. Our salvation is totally a gift by the sovereign hand of God. But our sanctification requires our active participation. His statement here, we're not talking about sanctification yet. His statement here is, these are people that are just out there. They're lost. They don't know about Jesus Christ. They are under the judgment, under the wrath of God. Without Christ, they are perishing and going to hell. You come to them. You're bringing the gospel to them. If they will passively receive it, they don't have to do anything for it. They don't have to earn anything. They have to hear what you're saying, and they have to receive it. In other words, you're knocking on their door. You've brought the gospel to them. They have to open the door. they got to let what you're saying come into their life. If they would do that, then they would be causing themselves, middle voice, to take the same reward that you guys have. Jesus' statement is basically the implication, I'm sending you guys out, the 12, you're going out as prophets, you're going out as righteous people, you're going out, you're ministering. What you're doing with this gospel is when you're taking it to people, you're giving them the opportunity to experience the same reward that you get for taking it to them. We as a church, majority of us in this room, if not all of us in this room, at some point in time, we were lost in our sins. We were dead in our trespasses. We stood under the judgment and the wrath of God. And good news came. We didn't go looking for it. We didn't go asking for it. God, in his mercy, brought blessing to us. All we had to do was hold, hold our arms wide and receive it. 
And that's the same offer that is there for you today. If you are here today, you can hear my voice. I want you to know that the opportunity is explicitly here in this room. God is here right now, and he holds forth the opportunity for you right now. You have the reward and the promise and the blessing of heaven held out for you. If you would, but do two things. Be willing to turn from your sin and embrace the gift of Jesus Christ by faith, specifically what he did for you on the cross. Namely, that your sin deserved eternal judgment. You committed treason, you committed an offense, and you deserve to die for the things that you have done. But the good news is that there is a God in heaven who loves you so much that he dies for you, taking the punishment you deserve, sparing you from the wrath, if you would, but passively receive it and embrace it. Now, we receive that gospel. It comes into our life, and it should fundamentally, radically transform us. Man, time's getting away from me. i got to fly. It should radically transform us. It should transform us in the sense that if we have truly received it, if we have touched the Father through a disciple who brought us the good news of Jesus Christ, if we have actually touched the Father, if we've come into contact with the Father, it should radically transform our world in the sense that we see this text here and we have tasted the reward and the blessing of knowing the Father. How could we not want that for others? There is no way to receive Jesus and not have a desire to take that good news to other people. There is no way that we have fully embraced it, been fully mixed into the loaf of bread, if it is not the inclination of our heart to see other people know that joy. Some of us are here, we're like, you know, I want to be a Christian, I want to be a good person, I want to go to heaven, but joy, happiness, relationship, God, what are you talking about? If those things are not present in your heart, that should be an indication to you that you haven't gone the whole distance to receive everything that is there for you, everything that God has. Now, for others of us in this room, we have a unique opportunity this morning. We have a sister here who wants to go out for the sake of the gospel. Somebody who's been touched by the Father and now wants to take that message. And and we're sitting here today and we might be asking ourselves, How do we get on board with that? I want you to notice these two words here again. I want to draw your attention to it. Makes this statement, the one who receives a prophet, that is, the one who decomai embraces a prophet because he is a prophet, will lambano cause himself to take a prophet's reward. Let's be careful how we do this, shall we? Flip with me to first, sorry, second John. There's a right way. Listen to me, Bridge Baptist Church. There's a right way and there's a wrong way. I don't know that I'm going to make it. I hope you'll have grace if I, we may have to come back next week and finish this up. Now, let me give you the backdrop. Okay, first, second, third John. As the church is dealing with the heresy of Gnosticism, it's a heresy that we still struggle with today. Many of you are thinking, Gnosticism, isn't that where they had these sort of secret rituals and these sort of secret mystic encounters with God? It wasn't like just this sort of super hyped up spiritualized religion. Say, so yeah, basically, that's, that's right. 
Well, how do we still struggle with that today? Well, let me tell you what it is. At its root, Gnosticism is the idea that you can be saved simply by some sort of intellectual knowledge. In other words, we think that, okay, just because I know about Jesus Christ, just because I have this basic sort of academic understanding that Jesus Christ lived 2,000 years ago and he was born to a virgin and he died on a cross, I just need to know that and then I'm good. There are many Christians who seem to think that all that is necessary is a knowledge of it without an embrace of it, an understanding of it without a dependence upon it or a trusting in it. It's more than just knowing. It's giving yourself over to it. That's the backdrop. John is writing to a church, most likely in Turkey. Most likely he's writing to Ephesus. He's writing to a church in a part of the world that now knows very little of Christianity, where our sister is going to be traveling here in a few short months. And he makes this statement. In 2 John, he says in verse 8, Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may, look at this, win a full reward. Do you know the word there? Anybody want to take a guess? Lombano. John is using some sort of a phrase or some sort of a teaching that he heard from somewhere. And I know where he heard it from. He heard it from Matthew chapter 10. His statement is, watch yourselves so that you could win a full reward, that you could cause yourself to take a full reward. Pay attention, be alert, be focused on what you're doing, because if you don't do it right, you might not take a full reward. You might not take, cause yourself to win a full reward. Here's what you could be doing wrong. And this is the wrong way to embrace the gospel message. This is the wrong way to help spread the good news. He makes this statement, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Verse 10, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, what teaching is he referring to? Well, he's referring to what he just said in verse 9, one verse before. If anyone comes to you and brings a teaching that essentially denies the fact that we need to abide in what Christ has taught us, Don't help that person. This is what he says, verse 10. If anyone comes to you and doesn't bring that teaching, abiding in Christ, do not receive him. Receive. What word is that? That's decomai. You see where this is coming from? You guys could do something that would cause you not to take a full reward. How would you go about doing it? haphazardly embracing false teachers who teach anything that goes beyond what Jesus has taught. If you receive those people, if you decomai, embrace, or welcome, as he says here, if you even give them a greeting, if you even say as much as hello to them, then you might cause yourself to lose the opportunity of taking a full reward. That's what he says. If anyone comes to you, and he's writing this church that's just gone through this horrible split, Gnosticism is the backdrop. Basically, it doesn't matter what we do in life. It just matters what we know. Wrong. How we respond is everything. How we receive the gospel is everything. This is not purely academic. It is not purely intellectual. Our response is critical because our response shows 
that our hearts are spiritually connected to what the Father is saying. And on one level, it comes down to if we know what's at stake with the gospel, if we truly grasp the significance of what we're talking about, heaven and hell, salvation versus damnation. If we understand that, then why would we want to do anything that would inadvertently prop up, support, or give legitimacy to a false teacher? One who, in however subtle of a manner, distorts the truth of the gospel. Notice what he says. Read it to you again. Watch yourselves. Be alert. Pay attention. He says, in order that contingency, the reason I am exhorting you to pay attention and to be alert to what you're doing is for the reason that you might not win, that is take, cause yourself to take a full reward. Now, he's writing to this lady who's obviously a member here you know, at this church, most likely in Ephesus. Is she going to go to heaven? Yeah. She's going to go to heaven. Is her salvation in doubt? Is her going to heaven in question? No. But could she actively participate in things, wrong things, in such a way as to cause her blessing? To cost her future joy? Absolutely. Absolutely. It says everyone, now the, this is the question, the million dollar question, okay. So I'm not supposed to help out a false teacher. Uh, I don't give a greeting to a false teacher. I don't help a false teacher. What constitutes a false teacher? Verse 10, okay, verse 8 says, watch yourselves, be alert so that you can take. Verse, that's verse 8. Verse 10 says, don't receive. Okay, don't receive a false teacher. Verse 9, the verse sandwiched in between the two explains it. Everyone who goes on ahead. This last week I was at Kids Club. I was playing the part of Moses. Some of you saw me. I looked awesome. I had this awesome beard. It was cool. The thing actually itched and it was extremely sweaty. I borrowed that from a friend and I'm hopeful that he cleans it before he straps that thing back on again. This week I had to lead these kids around. We went on this journey through the wilderness wanderings at VBS. Children do not always follow. You know what I'm talking about. Not only you go this way and you got kids going like every which way behind you, but I had to play the role of Moses, 80-year-old, so I was trying to like, you know, emphasize being old, and so I was like hobbling along on the stick, right? So I was going slow. That's the idea. I was like, you know, making my way down the hall slowly. Kids go every which way. You know, you got children's workers like flying around trying to round up this herd of kids follow me boys and girls with my good master splinter voice and uh you know what else happened they ran on up ahead they went beyond me uh, i'm getting ready I, I had led them down this hallway right here i'm getting ready to turn and go up the stairs here because the deal is we got to end up back here in this upper room. <laughs> like, for the sake of not having Kyla have a heart attack, you know, so that everything was, you know, run smoothly. Uh, we got to make a circuit. It's got to be a pretty straight deal. There's a time, you know. In every single group, get to this door right here, and they think they know what's about to happen. They think they understand what we needed to do, and they, bam, right out that door. That one right there. They have gone ahead they have not followed Moses, 
and they have found themselves somewhere completely wrong. Now that's what John is saying here. Shoot, I don't have time to finish this. I'm so frustrated. Okay, we'll just try to wrap this up and we'll have to come back and revisit this again next week. He makes a statement. Everyone who goes ahead, which ought to tell us something, goes ahead of what? Goes ahead of the teaching of Christ. Okay? In other words, Jesus has already spoken. The Father has already said everything we need to hear through Christ. A false teacher consists of a person or persons who have gone ahead of that, gone beyond that, have added to that, or the corollary, taken away from what has been said. Those individuals, if we receive them into our homes, if we give them greetings, it'll hurt our future reward. So, the way that we help the gospel advance, number one, what not to do, do not support or give legitimacy to anyone who in any way adds to, goes beyond the teaching of Christ. How should we positively do it? That's the negative aspect. Flip the page. Do not support false teachers. Well, what's the corollary of that? Support true teachers. It's not rocket science. Uh, back in February, I sat down with, with our sister here. We were at Blend's Coffee. We were sitting there, sitting there having coffee. I remember it. I'm eating a cinnamon roll. It's all warm and gooey, and I'm like chopping it up. And she's telling me a little about, a bit about her ministry, and I'm like, that's very interesting. I'm excited to hear that. I'm excited that you feel called to do this. And I asked her a question. What do you think about the Bible? She says, well, I like the Bible. Well, don't we all? But really, what do you think about its inerrancy and its infallibility, its sufficiency, its authority, its exclusivity, its power unto salvation for everyone? She said, can you, can you repeat that one more time? I'm just joking. I, I did talk fast. I was like, okay, here's what I mean by this. And you know, at the end of all that, you know what she said? I agree with all of that. She qualifies for our support. Look at what it says here, 3 John. Okay, this is the same pastor, Pastor John, writing to Gaius. And he makes this statement, verse 5. Beloved, it's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are. For some of us in this room, you know, we don't really know Lisa that you know, that, well, we've just met her. That is no different in the first century. These individuals have come to Ephesus, and Pastor John says to this guy, Gaius, he says, you know, it's a good thing you're doing. You're faithful in this. He says, in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church, you do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. In other words, help them in what they're doing. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. That is, they're not charging lost people 
for trying to help those people get saved. In other words, the gospel comes to them. They're receiving it. There's no price attached. They've gone out. They're not charging. The lost people, they need us to help them take the gospel to people who don't have it. And John, Pastor John says, that's right. That's faithful. That's exactly how it should be. Now, notice the next word that's about to come. Your ESV will say, therefore we, now look at this, we ought to support people like these. Anybody want to know what the word is there? Decomai. I uh, consulted the New American Standard Bible. It says we ought to support people like these, but there's a little footnote. You know, you go down to the bottom page, you read the footnote. Footnote says literally we ought to receive people like these. You consult the King James, the old school 1611 King James Bible. Guess what it says? You ought to receive those people. New King James, you know what it says? We ought to receive those people. The idea here, the thing that John is trying to say is we're supposed to support those people, but he uses the same term that Jesus uses back in Matthew chapter 10. He makes a statement, they have gone out for the sake of the name, therefore we ought to receive these people. We ought to receive them. That we may be fellow workers for the truth. In other words... What they're trying to do in Turkey ought to be intimately connected to our heart when we think about how much knowing God means to us. This word receive. Open your door. Allow this person into your home. This is an incredibly intimate exchange. In the first century, they didn't have police officers. In the first century, there wasn't like structured society like what we have today. Your home was the place where you lived that was secure. It was defended. It was protected. It was your barrier against the world. And what Pastor John is teaching us is these people need to be in our homes. They need to be with us. We need to receive them. In one sense, he's referring clearly to the fact that we need to be supporting them, we need to be helping them. But more than that, he's alluding to what Jesus is saying. There is a connection between us and them. We're saved because someone brought us the gospel. They're trying to take the gospel to people who are not saved. And we can help them to do that. Why? Because that's where all the joy and all the reward is. I was in high school chemistry. The man that presided over that class was a despot. His name was Mr. Morey. I'm not so sure that he was really all that evil or if it was just that I was no good at chemistry. But... I'll never forget this. I actually was in that same class with, with Shanti. We had that class together. Mark Miller, the cl class clown, asked a question one day, is there any chemical process which is reversible? Oh, yeah, there are thousands of them. Okay, is there any chemical process which is not reversible? 
And what he was trying to allude to is like if chemistry is just, you know, the swapping of electrons and molecules and chemical products, you know, we could, ba we could basically undo anything, couldn't we? And Mr. Moore said, no, there are chemical processes which are irreversible. Like what? Name one. Fire. Houses burned to the ground. Wood and tile and drywall and plaster exposed to enough heat will totally lose its molecular structure. It will be reduced to ashes. There is no reversing that process. There is no way to reverse the process of fire. And he said, in fact, if anyone could come up with a method to reverse the effects of fire, that person would be a very wealthy individual overnight. And Jesus Christ sends forth the gospel, which reverses the isolating effects of sin, turns back the ruin and destruction that has been unleashed on this world, and saves us from the fire of hell. Jesus must be a wealthy man. He must be an incredibly wealthy person. And at the end of the day, when we support people who go out for the sake of the gospel, we receive the greatest blessing of all, namely the reward of having Jesus. And what could be better than that? Let's bow for a word of prayer.